that was up until 3 o'clock in the morning. Were you working on your talk until 3 o'clock in the morning? I was, because at 9 p.m. I decided it sucked and I needed to start again. (laughs) (laughs) Called it. (laughs) Yeah. um, It did. The talk sucking, the reason that you were up all night. Yeah. It doesn't suck. It was just like I thought of a better way to present it. And I was like, well, I still have time to fix this. You do. You still have a week. Mm, Less than a week now. Uh, I'm going first thing Tuesday morning. Oh, right. It's Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> All of my preparations are complete. Stickers have, have shipped. Onesies will ship soon. Nannies are confirmed. Nice. You know, all the usual pre-conference preparations. <laughs> Stickers, t-shirts, and nannies. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely placed. So a couple episodes back, we were talking about writing your favorite thing, service objects. Spoiler alert, they're just objects. And uh, using them kind of in a, fu- in a functional way where we, we just kind of like what we want is a function on a namespace. Right? Oh, yeah. I saw, I saw this email. Right. And like, I don't think that you were serious about <laughs> like writing global methods. I wasn't serious. I mean, I even said during the episode, I wasn't actually suggesting that, that you should just be doing that. It was more just interesting that we never even consider it right and edward lovell wrote in longtime listener and um pointed out i think the biggest the biggest thing to point out of course was like encapsulation right so like i have more than just the call method in there i have other methods that get hidden and are private and i can you know make things more readable than just throwing a gigantic 20 line function sure cool namespace so that's what i saw yeah, no, it's 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 one of those. Uh, you can still stick that in a module. <laughs> yes, you could. And the other point being consistency, which I think is what I was saying. It's just not something we do, right? Oh no, I, yeah, <laughs> right. no, it's not. But right, still. Yeah. But uh, you know, every once in a while, it's fun to be like, wait, why? How is this different than something so simple like a global function, right? Right. And just thinking about that. So that's my follow up. Good follow up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks for thanks for writing in, Edward. Yeah. We love to get email. Also, somebody followed up with a comment on the website to tell us what a computer engineer is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if I you saw this. this. So at the end of the last show, I'm going to have to pull it up here now make sure make sure I actually get what a computer engineer is, right? At the end of the last show, we were talking about majors uh, in college, like computer science, and how a lot of people who major in computer science, like myself, don't do computer science. We do programming, and that's a different thing. And I wondered if the same was true of like computer engineering. Uh, Gabriel Smith put a comment on our website basically saying that a computer engineer exists kind of between an electrical engineer and like a general programmer, right? And they're they're mm-hmm. expected to work at low-level code like drivers and uh, high-level electronics like registers and communication buses. That's their sweet spot. But, you know, I mean... That makes I, sense. But I, I think that was uh, an electrical engineer who, like, focused on computer parts. Yeah, that's kind of what my impression was, too, which I guess, you know, maybe that's true. And then they also know how to program those computer parts. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure they take some electrical engineering classes. But the point stands that, like, none of the computer engineering majors I know do anything different than what I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, web apps or line of business applications or things like that. Well, presumably those are people who, who who have software engineering degrees or computer science degrees. Mm, those people have, like, I, like I, I'm like i saying they're kind of in the circles I run in anyway, the people who have 
computer engineering degrees are not doing different work than I am with my computer oh, science oh, degree. Oh, so they are actual computer engineering degrees. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. So, huh. anyway, I don't know how that speaks to our point of the last episode, but uh, a number of people did have reached out and said, like, they feel similarly about apprenticeship opportunities and college in general and things like that. So I think a lot yes. of people feel those feel those things as well. Did you remember what you wanted to talk about, Sean? No, I've been doing a lot of helping people prep their talks and feeling good about not having to give a talk <laughs> for like the first time in ever. I realized this year that like this will be my third straight RailsConf doing a talk, which is, you know, I'm pretty happy with that. But, um, you know, maybe next year I can help somebody do a talk. <laughs> One thing that is interesting about this talk that I'm preparing is it's got more code in it than like I did the code review talk which didn't have I don't think any code in it and then I did a workshop which you know we talked about code but it wasn't doing a presentation about code right right and this year I'm doing a talk with a lot of code slides and as I was preparing these slides and thinking about like okay I want them to look nice you know I'm using um deck set because it's easy and they come out looking decent and I can quickly switch between color schemes if the colors are a problem and right. uh, display sizes if it turns out it's actually four to three and not 16 to nine like it happened in Atlanta. So I'm using that and I'm trying to make this all look nice. But then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like when you do a thing at RailsConf, they give you an honorarium. And as a condition of receiving that honorarium, you have to like post your slides somewhere. Right. Right. And it's weird, but I started to get like all of this kind of like unnecessary angst about how that means my slides need to be some sort of, they need to stand on their own on some sort, right? Because they're going to link to them from the talk. And so if I show bad code with the intention of talking about how this code is bad and then I move on, somebody going through the slides is going to be like, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> that's not good. You can, you can just include your speaker notes. Yeah, I guess I can. But a lot of times my speaker notes, I mean, they're not where I want them to be right now. There are a lot more content in my speaker notes, but a lot of times my speaker notes are empty, right? Like, <laughs> sure, but like you could just put a speaker note. This is an example of bad code, and I will now talk about how to make it better. Right. But I just think it's weird that the, like, that's a condition of the, like, the idea of publishing slides as a thing that can be consumed separate from the talk encourages slides that can be consumed separate from the talk which i think makes the talk weaker in many respects uh i mean i think it's not even necessarily to encourage it because the slides are expected to be consumed separately it's because oftentimes people want to just go through and review on their own or if you have links or right. things like that it makes them more accessible and yeah that is true you know the talks are recorded so like it's certainly not just to have the slides as a thing to be consumed Right. That's the other thing. I was like, well, we're recording these anyway. Like, what? Like, can they just put the recording online? Um, but the, like, ability to, like, maybe click on a link that would, although I don't know if, like, Speaker Deck or whatever would actually run. Well, Speaker Deck is the thing that they suggest uploading your slides to, right? Oh, so, so, oh, oh. Speaker right, Deck or slide, or slide Share or right. something like that. Yeah, no, they render links. Okay. Well, there we go then. So, I think sometimes they they use the slides that you upload to touch up the videos as well. Hmm. Well, maybe that's, yeah, I guess that could be it. Yeah, so <laughs> last night I spent a lot of time reworking the talk. It wasn't like totally rewriting it, but it was like redoing the way it flows. And I was able yeah. to pull some slides over wholesale and everything like that. But it just means that I'm a little bit behind where I wanted to be. It's not, I'm not like, oh my God, I'm swamped or anything like that. But I'm just a little bit behind where I want to be on my practice. 
So uh, that's what I'll be doing uh, in the time leading up. But I'll be ready. See, it's funny. I've, you know, I usually have a ton of code slides because all of my talks are super technical because I don't usually have terribly interesting non-technical things to talk about <laughs> because, you know, I'm boring. <laughs> um, but I've started doing fewer code slides as time goes on just because they're hard to do well. Yes. Two people who do, they do a, t- a, a lot of things well, but in particular, I've always appreciated how well they, they do code slides are Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. Mm-hmm. Like when you watch their talks that have code in them, they just they very, very meticulously structure and show just enough code. And more importantly, what they do is they show transformations of code and just showing what in code slide and then, you know, another code slide that's like, and here's how we changed the code. Yeah. It's really hard to get the audience to follow the flow. Yeah. And that's why, like when I was doing it, when I was doing my samples last night, when I was putting them into this new presentation I'm working on here, like using deck set is nice. I just use markdown and I do my triple back ticks and I say, this is Ruby, but then it renders it in like the color scheme according to the theme I have selected. Right. And, and like bad color schemes for that. Right. And it looks like it looks okay. It's just very busy, right? Like I don't need full syntax highlighting. What I want is like, I want almost no syntax highlighting on code slides. Like right. I almost would rather just do. And what I thought about doing is using, um, instead of telling it it's Ruby, telling it it's diff uh. and using a diff format between different examples. Yeah, but the colors it chooses are just weird. So I was gonna play blue that. for added lines and green <laughs> for removed lines. Right, right. So weird stuff like that. I've occasionally uh, just taken screenshots of it rendered how I want in something else, and then put that as an image in the slide. Right, and this is where people who use like Keynote and things like that, they're like, "Well, I have full control over. It. I can just pull out RTF formatted text and right put it in here." That's and it's fine. like, "Yep, that that is true. You do, but." You know. I just don't want that usually. Yeah. Um, so what I've taken to really is that most of the slides that are dense, I can get away with just talking about the shape of a lot of the code. You don't necessarily have to read the lines. And I can just kind of point out a couple of lines using my fancy laser pointer that are interesting. But we can just talk about the complexity just by looking at the shape and being like, hey, look, this shape is familiar because it's not complex and it looks like a regular scaffolded controller and now look at this shape right and you're like something right. weird's going on here and that's basically enough to get by um but yeah i remember watching a talk with sandy where she was doing one of the code kata things that she walked through i can't remember what a gilded yeah. ro- gilded rose or whatever and she was like yeah. bringing over little bits of it and like filling in the middle as she went and i was like oh wow that t- took her a lot of time right and, that, and that's why i started <laughs> doing fewer code slides is just because i watched those two and, and i mean their slides are both always really well done and mine aren't i rely just much more on the speaking than the visual aids not right. that they don't but like just my slides are never as good as theirs yeah in particular, my code slides. I'm like, well, my kid, my talks could be so much better if my code slides flowed as well as theirs did. So I'm just going to start having less code slides because that that's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's going to be fine. I think if things go well tonight and I get this thing buttoned up, and then it's just a, I'll have like six days worth of just practicing multiple times a day, and and I'll have time to hopefully make those code slides what I want to be, or make them so that I can live with the way that Dexet is showing them to me, which is probably the more likely outcome. And since this is uh, coming out, this episode's going to be coming out during RailsConf. Actually, depending on when it comes out, your talk might already be done. Yeah, but if it, it if, will be. If RailsConf has not yet started, 
you can come see Derek's talk at 10.50 a.m. in room 160. Yeah. And if, it, if it's after that time when this goes out, we're going to be recording somewhere, and you can come tell us about how you did or didn't like Derek's talk <laughs> in brutal detail. Yes, exactly. Give me the brutal, honest truth. Um, actually, please don't. Just tell me you loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the brutal, honest right. truth. Right. Sean will break it to me a few days later. It'll be fine. Like, but let me have, you know, let me have my fun at the conference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, yeah, definitely. This is going to come out, I think, on Tuesday, so probably sometime after my talk. But if you get this in your feed while you're at RailsConf, we'll probably be doing some sort of live uh, recording on Wednesday. So definitely come and check that out. I'll have some ThoughtBot stuff to give away. If you've pre-ordered a t-shirt from us, then we will deliver it to you at the conference. And coming to that live recording would be a good time to pick that up. But uh, we'll try and hunt you down otherwise. And follow us on Twitter at underscore bike shed to get details on when and where that will be because it's going to depend on uh, the availability of guests and when their talks are and when our talks are and when the talks we want to see are and etc. So and then I'll have RailsConf onesies because there was a minimum that was greater than two. <laughs> so I have a limited number and I'm giving preference to people who have brought babies to the conference. You must show a baby to claim <laughs> to claim the onesie. But, you know, probably by Wednesday, I will be giving away the ones that, that didn't go to babies at the conference to anybody who has a baby and would like a onesie Okay. with the RailsConf t-shirt design on it. <laughs> That's all I had for talks, I think. I mean, you are definitely ahead of the curve, I think, for where most people are in terms of their prep, at least the ones that I've spoken to. That's good. And I do... You know, when I say like I'm stressing about it, I think it's more that I'm stressing about it in comparison to how I've been at this time other years, the last two years. Uh, Not that like I don't think it's going to get done or I don't think it's going to be good. And I'm bearing in mind the like Ben's talk on giving a talk to developers. One of them, he says, is like, don't pre-apologize. Don't say like I've been up all night working on this. But like I don't want people to walk away with the impression that I've been working on this last minute. I've been working on this a long time. It's just that like. I mean, you're allowed to be up all night a week before. (laughs) It's just not the night before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I will not be doing that. I'll be getting a great night's sleep and uh, giving the talk. So, yeah. And it's just that this one has been a little harder to come together or to find, like, a common thread that weaves it all together kind of thing. The storytelling of it was a little... I had lots of things I wanted to say. And I went through that period where, like, I wasn't sure if I had a lot of things to say. Then the period of relief where it's like, oh, I have enough to say here. I have more than enough to say. I get to cut some of this, right? Like, and, and, and this fear of, oh, God, I have too much to say. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, thankfully, I'm I'm okay with just being like, I don't need to say this. That's fine. Sure. Like, whatever. Just Let's just keep the four strongest things. That kind of thing. Whatever the case right. may be. Cool. So uh, a little inside baseball on the talk prep there. I just always remember um, after I gave... Cause I don't think we did the show then, but when I, at some point we were discussing my first talk and I remember I was just like looking at the sea of faces with their neutral human expression and thinking I was boring the audience. And, and I remember your response was something along the lines of, well, what do you expect somebody to like get up in the middle of your talk and shout yes? <laughs> and then that happens. And then you give your first talk and exactly that <laughs> happens. Yeah, I'm going to be counting on somebody to do that again. There's really no appropriate time for that to happen, but go ahead. You can just you know, <laughs> jump up and, and shout it out. That'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll wait until you have the slide that's like, and look at this code with, with, with as you're about to say how terrible it is. And I'll just go, yes, that's my code. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was funny is I got an email from from the folks at RailsConf saying like, here are the details on like what the rooms are like and the AV setup and all that stuff. And it was like, 
you know, the rooms will have, you know, a, a mic on the podium and you'll have a lapel mic and there'll be a confidence monitor. <laughs> Which I was always like, a confidence monitor? Like, is that just somebody like, you are speaking very confidently right now. Good job. <laughs> I'd never heard that term before. Well, if you're in a track, that's, that's, your, that's your track organizer. Um, I am not. It is. I'm in the general track, but yeah, I, the the confidence organ, the confidence monitor refers to like the screen that you can look at that shows your slides, so you don't need to turn oh, over your shoulder. Oh, I, I thought I thought it was going to be like a, a monitor speaker. No, I believe what they're referring to is that that screen that's down in front of yeah, you. Yeah. No. Now that you say that, I think I've heard <laughs> that term used to describe that thing before. I would have gone with television screen so you can see your slides, but I guess if there's a term of art, then you know, go ahead and use that, and I'll learn it. Confidence monitor. I like it. <laughs> speak with confidence so I, I had the idea of like if i get to the point where i don't feel like i need a lot of speaker notes is like every other slide just have some like <laughs> you're doing great <laughs> <laughs> keep it up people are really liking this anyway i mean i just i i think one thing that just helps a lot is having a good start and so that's why i think basically all of the track organizers we're all going to be emceeing our tracks hmm. because it's such an awkward start when it's just like you expect there to be somebody who comes and tells you that, like, okay, you can start now or something, and nobody ever does, and so you're just standing there, and right. people still shuffle in. People never stop shuffling in. They just right. continue shuffling in while you, even while you give the talk, and so then it's like, all right, I guess it's time to start. We're going to start now. Yeah, I you actually, when I, when I practice my talk, I actually practice that part where I say, like, okay, I guess we should get started right now. Um, you know, like that awkward, like, right. I'm going to go ahead and get started because uh, it's not clear that this like, slow trickle of people is going to end, like, in and out, you know? Like, you're if sitting you there, want, you're I like, can come introduce you. <laughs> I do not have anybody to introduce during your slot. Um, only if there's a smoke machine and <laughs> uh, intro music, then sure. Did you ever? Did I ever tell you, or, or did you ever see the video of RubyConf Portugal? Oh yes, I think you were there, right? And there was yeah, a smoke machine. Yeah, and there was a smoke machine, and so I insisted that when I come out, the smoke machine be running and the final countdown be playing. <laughs> da -da -da -da. And um, PJ Haggerty actually, like on his phone because he was emceeing the whole thing, got the final countdown and held his phone up to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> High quality audio. That was great, and then and then everybody wanted intro music after that. <laughs> Anyway, I'm, I'm making it a point to introduce each of the speakers in my track just because I think it helps to have somebody else do the awkward let's get started and not having to do that improves your confidence when you're giving a talk. Are you getting the intro from the people? Are you like asking them like, what do you want me to say about you? Or are you just going to be like, this is Kate and she's a developer here and she's going to talk to you? I mean, Sam, Sam, I'm sure I can come up with an intro for <laughs> probably Eileen too. I should probably ask people what they want in their intro though. I was just going to say their names, but I should probably ask if they have anything they want me to say during their intro. Right. They may also already have a small intro planned, and then you're going to throw them totally off. <laughs> well, I hope not. I hope not because they, they like, know that I'm going to be introducing them. Okay. All right. <laughs> get up there and be like, yeah, like uh, Sean said, I'm Kate, and the first three slides of my presentation are about like where I work and the title of my talk, and that's already been done. So, But even if that happens, if that happens, right? That's the thing, like, I've talked to Ben about this before, too. Like, if you get up there and, like, you pull up a slide and you're like, I already said all of the things on the slide, the slide before, or two slides ago. Or just skip over. Just skip it. Be like, oh, we covered this. Bang, bang. Skip it. Yep. Next. And don't worry about it. Anyway. Advice for anybody else doing a talk at RailsConf or anywhere else. Let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor. 
SparkPost is the robust cloud API for apps and websites to send and receive email. Built on AWS, it's the world's most reliable and fastest growing cloud email service provider with offerings that range from free, self-service startup accounts to sophisticated enterprise support and services. With developer-friendly, enterprise-grade features, using SMTP or combined with your language of choice, SparkPost's Email REST API makes it easy to embed transactional email and analytics into any app or workflow. SparkPost's high-performance email infrastructure is the only cloud auto-scaling platform with burst rates backed by comprehensive uptime SLAs and is trusted by the world's biggest senders to deliver unmatched uptime and resilience. From its amazing REST API to industry-leading deliverability to deep analytics, there's never been a better way to build and send email. Try SparkPost and send 100,000 emails a month for free at pages.sparkpost.com slash bikeshed. That's bikeshed, all one word. Our thanks again to SparkPost for sponsoring today's show. There's a email I got from like the people who... Do, um, I booked the nanny through the same people who are doing the on-site daycare at the conference, and they emailed me asking to leave like a review. Uh-huh. And so like, here's the link to write a Google review. Please click on the word Google below. And it says Google in all caps, and then right on the next line, it's Google in all caps, but for some reason in Comic Sans. <laughs> the rest of the email is not in Comic Sans, but that that line is in Comic Sans. Also, um, they have yet to render any services. So, what are yeah. you supposed to be reviewing? <laughs> oh no, they so they have rendered their service. They have paired me with a ah, nanny. Ah, okay. The nanny does the not nanny work doesn't for them. Work for them. Okay, I see. Yeah, but still, you're not really capable of reviewing that service until you're like the nanny. Yeah, yeah. The it's nanny a question was... of how good of how good the nanny I got from them. <laughs> right, the nanny is a reasonable person to have watched my child. Yeah, and didn't kidnap the kid. <laughs> oh God, you know. That's that's my main benchmark for review. Was not kidnapped. I, I got the baby back. <laughs> yep. Ten out of ten would hire again. <laughs> that can be my review. I got my baby back, baby back, baby back. Sorry. Um dad joke. <laughs> um, all right. Uh I want to take a minute. I have something that's been bothering me on okay. my on my current app. And on a lot of apps really. Oh, God, this is my fault, isn't it? No, it's not a Rails thing. Oh, okay, perfect. It's just a web thing. Okay. And I don't know what to call it because, so, modal dialogues, right? Yes. That term isn't really, I don't feel like it applies to a lot of what I see on the web because, like, when I, when I hear modal dialogue, I think about, like, when you're using a desktop application and a dialogue box comes up and you cannot do anything. Like, you can't close it. You can't interact with the background window. You can't do anything until you do whatever that modal dialog box wants you to do, right? Sure. On the web, it's more for like user input. Like you click something and it needs more data, so it opens up this modal input box, right? This di- this modal dialogger. I guess. I mean, it's... nowadays, really, it's here's an ad that you right. didn't ask for. Setting aside that, right, and and looking at it just in its use in like applications, not in sure. like you went to a blog post and it popped up this thing that said like, "Give me your email address for subscribing to our newsletter," that kind of thing. Right. Like, setting aside automatic popover type things, so like you click in here and you're and it's like, oh, to complete this operation, you like you just clicked on a button and to complete this operation, we need a couple more bits of information. So just fill in these little bits of information, and you're right. on your way. And for whatever reason, like designers really love or some designers really love this pattern and as a yep. developer it's awful <laughs> there's yes. all sorts of problems with it which we can get into and as a user it's not super nice 
there's all sorts of hangups there we can get into. And, like, the developer part of me is just, like, it's a nightmare because you may, like, we have parts in this application that render a modal from inside something that's already a form, right? And some of them need the context of the thing that they are inside of, right? So you have oh, to... you need the form repopulated with what was in the mo- what, with what was entered in the modal dialog, right? Or maybe in this case, like when you submit the modal dialog, you're still submitting the form underneath. You're just doing it with some additional information. Like one of them is like if you try and deactivate if you try and deactivate somebody in the system, it's and then you click save, a modal dialog pops up and says, I guess it's not really modal. A dialog pops up and says, you have to tell me why you're deactivating this person. Right. And you have to supply that information and then you click continue. Right. So that has to go either that modal and that form lives outside of the underlying form. And when you submit that modal, it writes back to your original form and then submits the original form. Mm -hmm. Or you render that modal inside the form and its inputs are part of the form. And that's the easier way to do it. Right. Maybe. From a CSS point of view, that does not seem easy. (laughs) Right. The typical place you do is either at the end of the body or at the beginning of the body is where you you do content for modal, right? Right. (laughs) And you render the modal in there. Which makes sense because it has to cover the entire body. Right. And you have to be careful not to have nested forms because that's not valid. Right. right? So you can't have... You have to take care where you put your modal, basically. And depending on where you put it, you can break layout and things like that. I'm kind of with you on like the place you put your modals don't <laughs> the place you put your modals don't new page how about that right. so like the and then as a developer also like it becomes hard because it's like okay so what happens if they submit that form and then there's a validation error on something that was in the modal right so if i'm doing server rendered html i just re-render the original page with the modal closed so now i need to come up with a way to re-render the original page and like do i need to pop that modal again what if there's a validation error for something both in the modal and not in the modal? Correct. <laughs> At the same time. You have yeah. no way to display both errors to the user simultaneously. Right. Also, just really annoying during, like, say, like CSS development or something like that, where you're trying to get the styles right, and you have to go through multiple steps to, like, get that modal to open again so you can look at it again. Well, that's only if the modal's rendered with JavaScript. Right. Like, you can do CSS-only modals where basically the modals open by having a hashtag thingy in at, at the end of your URL, and then there's only one step to get the modal open because right. you just have to go... To Depending on when that modal gets revealed to you, right? Like, Well, it's, like, it's revealed no matter what, as long as that hash is in your URL. No, I mean... Oh, CSS right, right, right. CSS is doing it. That's good. That's a good point. Uh, but you might need to provide it some context by first clicking on like the item that you're talking about, right? Like, and then that there's if there's JavaScript involved, basically, then yes, right. you need to go it, through yes. this dance, regardless of how you're showing it. Like, if if you're using JavaScript to populate it, but then you're using CSS to show it, like that JavaScript still needs to run, right? And just like not being able to just like refresh, <laughs> have the thing be what you want it to be. So those those are the reasons as a developer. I really, really dislike them. And then as a user, I dislike them for almost all the same reasons, right? Like, just show me another page. And then when I'm done, bring me back to the page I was on. Right. That's totally fine. They break navigation. They break navigation. I can't press the back button anymore or whatever. Or the refresh button. Or the refresh button. Or they don't show me errors in a predictable way. <laughs> Things like that. And yeah. I think I think maybe in a crowd full of developers, I'm probably like preaching to the choir on this. And I think that like Google has kind of taken a tact of like, we're going to try and discourage the really annoying popovers, right? They have like a post that says like, 
Right. Uh, they downrank, you know, if you have full page ads. Right. Or yeah. On, right. Well, I think it's only on mobile. Okay. But. Right. And they're particularly obnoxious on mobile because like half the time they didn't consider mobile when. Right. And so trying to close. Trying the to close thing. it. You're like, what is the click? What is the touch target for closing this thing? I have no idea. My, my favorite is just where they're like. You're using an ad blocker. You can't use an ad blocker on this page. And the way they do it is with a full screen modal that there is no way to close. And they're like, and it's like, haha, we've stopped you. And I'm like, haha, inspect delete. Inspect delete. <laughs> <laughs> and sure, I'm a developer. I, you know, I know. I feel like a significant portion of the people who would install an ad blocker at least know enough about the dev tools to like know that you can delete an element on a page. Yeah. Probably. On the subject, actually, of just bad things in websites that don't work uh, and having to use the dev tools, I've never figured out why, and I hear the same complaint from some people but not others, but I watch HBO sometimes through their Mm -hmm. streaming service, Mm -hmm. and like half of their links just don't work, particularly links that are in carousels. Uh, Whenever I click, it's like thinking my mouse down is to drag the carousel, not to click on the link in it. And so typically the only way I can interact with their website is to highlight the element I want, then open up the JavaScript console and <laughs> dollar sign zero dot trigger click. <laughs> That's a feature. They're like, this guy looks like a developer. Let's put him through some tests and then we'll see if we should offer him a job. <laughs> but like every time, every time Tess is, is will be watching me try to play a video and just be laughing that like i'm having to use javascript (laughs) to click a link on their page yeah because their stuff is so broken for their for their fancy animated carousel it is a good superpower to have though like it comes in handy like the other night i can't remember what my wife was doing something on some financial website where she was like i gotta go through all of these and like click this checkbox and do this thing and and i was like oh hang on and i was like all right well that's all rendered in the dom here blah 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 okay let me write a jquery selector and then trigger check and then yep okay they're all checked do this now click <laughs> like, you know you know you never have to write a jquery selector if you just in the right. elements tab click on the thing you want dollar sign zero is that is that element right but i wanted all of the elements that were like that because she was uh, like having to like expand each thing and then ch- click some oh. click some checkbox inside it and then go to the next one expand oh, click some checkbox inside it like that kind of thing it's like all right yeah. we can she's like there's no select all there's no and i was like oh we can build that <laughs> yep <laughs> There we no, go. That is good it's done. Power. Yeah. And I feel like that's also like the superpower thing reminds me of a thing that I heard somebody say, and I can't remember who, but basically like there's a good career to be had in like knowing JavaScript, but not necessarily being a developer or knowing, you know, for instance, like Excel development really well, but not right. being a developer because you can make parts of your job that other people take a significant amount of time doing so much faster if you know enough to be dangerous right no i think basic scripting should be taught as a core science in uh, high school Hmm. yeah at least one year's worth because yeah there there is no job that can't benefit like microsoft word actually has some really powerful automation tools in it so does photoshop right the ability to utilize those automation tools makes life so much easier Right. And you it puts you ahead of like the other people in your job that aren't necessarily like that aren't able to do it, frankly. Like even if you have no interest of ultimately becoming a developer, just being able to do the like repetitive tasks much faster than other people can puts you ahead. That's what I tell people who are like because I know a lot of people who have started the like 
I'm learning to code. And then eventually you're like, this isn't for me. But I'm like, wow, but now you know enough to know like the next time you hit that thing where you have to expand a bunch of things and like click the checkboxes. And that's that becomes a thing you have to do like every two weeks in your job. Yeah. You know enough to be like, I'm going to write this thing, save it somewhere. And then when I have to do that again, I'll just open the inspector, paste it in and hit enter and it'll be done. Right. You haven't written a program, really. You just wrote this script. You saved it off somewhere. Like, it's fine. It's great. It in a bookmarklet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to take if you want to go next level, then, yeah, do that. And then, you know, you can choose to tell somebody about that or not tell anybody about that. <laughs> Let that be your little secret superpower. <laughs> right. <laughs> and go on an extra long lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. Let's wrap up. Okay. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 109. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any others, you can tweet us at underscore Bike Shed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. And at RailsConf. Come say hello. <laughs> <laughs>